lots and lots of Republicans voted for me in the Senate to substitute its judgment for the people in picking a president. They are ready for someone to take the reins. We need more engagement in this public discourse and not less. Just listen. I think that's what I need to do is just really listen. What's up, Tennessee? Welcome to TriStar Talk. I'm Jeff Patterson, here to give you the latest on everything happening in the TriStar states. If you haven't yet, go ahead and hit the subscribe button so you never miss out on all the news going on in Tennessee. We're available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and you can follow us for more news and updates at TriStar Talk on Twitter and Instagram. Congress is voting on another package, another stimulus package for everyone. The Paycheck Protection Program is intended to help businesses with under 500 employees keep workers on payroll by extending loans up to $10 million that can be forgiven if employers keep paying their workforce. Its rollout was pretty rocky. There there were a lot of political fights with this. There was also a lot of controversy as small business owners came out saying that they were unable to get loans, but larger businesses, for example, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, obtained loans through big banks. A A number of lawmakers have taken note and said that they are going to try to fix that so that larger businesses aren't, aren't getting the money that's intended for small businesses. So hopefully this package does more to help workers and help us combat the coronavirus. The most recent relief bill, the CARES Act, was a bipartisan bill. I think everybody in Tennessee voted for it. But one thing that a lot of people didn't know is that tucked into the, the bill itself were these massive Republican inserted tax provisions. The tax breaks come in at $195 billion. That's nearly twice the amount of money that Congress provided to American hospitals and far more than the $150 billion going to state and local governments that are already having a hard time dealing with this crisis. Those who need it the most. These, these tax breaks allow certain investors, particularly real estate speculators and hedge fund managers, to cut their tax bills by shifting losses to prior tax years. But make no mistake about it, this type of tax cut is a government subsidy for wealthier people. It is socialism for those at the top and cold hard capitalism for everyone else. Congress was able to provide so much economic relief for those at the top, $195 billion, but they're not able to provide paychecks for everyone else. The money spent on these tax breaks could have paid for hundreds of N95 masks and hospital-grade ventilators, which would eliminate the national shortage. The frontline responders have been desperate to get their hands on PPE. So instead of sending millions of dollars to high-income folks that aren't aren't having the type of hard time that normal workers are having right now, we should be doing more to help people. The middle class, expanding the middle class, putting money in the pockets of people in the middle class, that is what's going to grow our economy long-term. And that's what's going to provide the most relief for people right now. But it's pretty unsurprising. Also, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said he's not really interested in any more stimulus after the Paycheck Protection Program. He says that the best way to get the economy back up and running is to begin to open it up again, rather than passing immediately another bill where we have to borrow. And there's no question that the timing around reopening the economy is the question that everyone is asking. Doing so too soon could result in further spread of the coronavirus. 
which would be worse for the economy. That's what the health experts are saying. That's what the economists are saying. If you do this, if you reopen the economy too soon, it's going to come at a greater cost down the road. And in reopening the economy and trying to get people back into business, you are asking a lot of these small business owners that you're trying to provide relief for now to take a chance to reinvest in their business, maybe to hire more people to to get inventory, to get things going again with no assurance that they're going to continue to operate through the rest of the year. We know that the coronavirus is going to be back around again in the fall, especially if we we reopen too soon. It's going to be here and it's going to be here with the flu. That could be devastating if we don't at that time have a treatment available, a successful treatment or even a vaccine. But we know they're not they're not trying to reopen the economy to save it. They know it can't be saved. At this point, you just have to try to stop the bleeding. They want to reopen the economy to save capitalism. Because they know if people stood up and said, government, we want you to distribute resources to help us so that we can survive. They know if they did that, then we would never go back. We would never go back to this system where 1% of the people in this country do really, 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 really well. And the other 99% struggle. And that is a system created by design. As we see from the most recent CARES Act, they can spare $195 billion for people who don't need it, but can't spare that same amount of money for everyone else. They can only afford to give a single $1,200 check to help you last throughout this virus. No. Here in Tennessee, a report last week from Vanderbilt showed the virus was still spreading faster in southern middle Tennessee than any other part of the state. That is why medical experts have cautioned that you can't just leave the decision up to people on the streets to contain this virus, to act responsibly, to do what they're supposed to do, because people aren't going to. And they're especially not going to when they're getting mixed signals from their leaders about the effects of the virus, about how deadly the virus is. Right now, there's a cluster of cases at Tyson's Food Plant in Goodlettsville, and employees there are demanding to shut down the plant. There are 120 positive cases there at one location. And this goes to a much broader problem that people are noticing here in Tennessee, that there, there really isn't any protection for, for workers in the system because there, there have been hundreds of complaints of people that are having to go back to work, that their workplaces aren't equipped to deal with the virus, that their bosses aren't taking proper precautions to make sure that all the employees are safe. And they have no recourse. They have they have nothing to make their employers make the workplace safer. And if they don't go to work, then they could lose their job. So it's just a complete mess. And, and Governor Lee is just going to go ahead and move forward with reopening the economy next week. And several states are South Carolina, Tennessee and Florida are rushing to reopen businesses. But relaxing the restrictions will supply new targets for the coronavirus. It's really not a matter of whether infections will increase, but by how much said Jeffrey Shaman, a leading epidemiologist at Columbia. Epidemiological models suggest that the best strategy for keeping transmission rates under control is to drive the number of infections as low as possible before restoring economic activity. That would then provide time to react if the cases flare back up again. The devastation would be significant because opening prematurely increases the likelihood communities will have to shut back down again once infections reach a certain level, creating multiple open-shut cycles. And we know that 
A second wave of infections will be coming again late fall. And a new analysis from demographer William Frey finds that coronavirus is now spreading into wider and more Republican-leaning areas of the country. It originally started in blue and urban areas with higher concentrations of people, people living closer, but it is now slowly extending to new parts of the Midwest and the South, into outer suburbs, small metro areas. And it's becoming more evident in, in red America that the coronavirus is, is going to be a serious problem. Tennessee got its first payment of $1.3 billion earlier this week from, from the Coronavirus Relief Fund, part of the CARES Act. And Tennessee is expected to get another billion tomorrow. Governor Lee said, before we actually say what we're going to spend it on, we've got to understand from the federal government what we can spend it on. The, the Coronavirus Relief Fund is meant to help states cover costs related to the COVID-19 pandemic incurred from March through the remainder of the year. The new task force that Governor Lee set up, the Financial Accountability, Accountability Stimulus Group, will oversee how the $2.3 billion is doled out to two different programs across the state. The governor said federal funding could help, but there will still be significant losses in revenue for the state. So from a budget standpoint, Governor Lee and the legislature is going to have to come together and figure out a way to deal with budget shortfalls while also still providing services for the people who really need government assistance right now. The Coronavirus Relief Fund is just one part of an estimated $3.6 billion Tennessee is expected to receive. But then there are also some grants that there isn't discretion. So the Education Stabilization Fund, for example, is required to go directly to K-12 districts and colleges. Nashville is working on a four-part phase-in of the local economy. The stay-at-home order will remain in place until May 1st for Nashville and some of the other major cities. In order to move forward with, with the plan that Nashville has in place, there has to be a decline or flattening of cases over a 14-day period, adequate testing and PPE capacity in the region, and a robust public health infrastructure to conduct contact tracing cases, which we've mentioned before will be really, really important. So we know where the virus originated, how it's continuing to spread. And honestly, if we can find that there are some people who are who are carrying the virus and giving it to other people, we can tell them, go stay at home. As of today, Davidson County has 2,144 confirmed cases of the virus, which was an increase of 182 in the past 24 hours. It's a significant spike, and it's the highest number of cases reported in a single day in Nashville. The numbers show us that there's nearly a 25% positive rate among the 720 tests that were done in that period. And so in light of that, in light of that I think it's really important the way that Mayor Cooper is dealing with this. The, the phase-in begins when there's a decline or flattening. There, there isn't just a date put up there saying this is when we're going to reopen. It's going to be based on the numbers that Metro has seen. But once we get past that, the, the first phase includes certain restrictions, like facilities will have to operate at half capacity screen all employees daily, clean facilities, and set explicit guidelines to maintain hygiene and wear face masks for both employees and patrons. Bars are going to be closed. Live music is closed. There are no more self-service and shared condiments. And schools, bars will remain closed. No gatherings of over 10 people. And everyone must still work from home if that's, if that's possible. Phase two there would still be some elective and scheduled medical activities. 
Facilities, including restaurants, may increase to 75% capacity. Salons and tattoo businesses can open, but appointments only, no walk-ins, and there can't be more than 10 people. There will be an increase in, in the number of people allowed in small gatherings. You can have gatherings of 50 or fewer. And playgrounds and basketball courts will reopen. Once we get into phase three, all elective outpatient and inpatient healthcare activities may proceed. Restaurants and other business, commercial businesses may open at full capacity, but there still has to be physical distancing in place. So I'm guessing that would look like six feet apart st- signs, maybe markers on the floor, stuff like that. The bar area at a restaurant may open at half capacity and live music will be allowed. That's when Nashville's really going to be back when live music's back in the restaurants. All remaining bars, entertainment, and cultural venues may open at half capacity, including museums, tours, attractions, and movie theaters. Gyms and personal hygiene businesses can open, and metros allowing gatherings of 100 people or fewer. And once we get to phase three, then non-residential K-12 schools will reopen. And then lastly, phase four, working from home will become optional. The use of face coverings will be optional. All bars and entertainment venues can open at full capacity. And sports and live performance venues will open for more than 100 people. This, I mean, this looks like a well-articulated plan. I understand it. Again, there's no hard dates for any of this involved. It's, it's just going to be based on the numbers. And as long as Mayor Cooper can bring out some numbers and prove that we have 14 days of decline or flattening, and the epidemiologist and his advisors are, are saying that, and, they're, and they are backing up the data, then I think that's a responsible way to move forward. Governor Lee has not really been doing that. He he was putting forth these numbers saying that, look how good Tennessee's doing, but it didn't look like a decline at all. In fact, Tennessee had had the highest number of cases reported in a 24-hour period the day that he announced how well we were doing. And that is on top of him not sticking through the stay-at-home order until May 1st. He, he's just starting again early for most of the state. Hope it works out, but the numbers are not in his favor, despite whatever he says about them. Governor Lee just has a lot of special interest whispering in his ear, telling him what to do. He doesn't have a lot of medical experts that he's listening to. He's not listening to the workers. He's listening to employers because he's just worried about the economy. But as we know, the economy will not improve if we do not contain this virus. In election news, the House Freedom Caucus is endorsing and raising money for Timothy Hill for the Republican nomination to succeed retiring U.S. Rep. Phil Rowe in the 1st Congressional District. Here's what the House Freedom Fund had to say about Hill. Timothy is a small business owner with a proven record of fighting for lower taxes, less spending, the Second Amendment, and the sanctity of life. He is the conservative choice in this race who will stand proudly with President Trump and fight the liberal policies promoted by Nancy Pelosi. So there's that guy. I don't think I'm going to be endorsing him by any means, but I just wanted to bring attention to that. I saw that that came out. He's one of 16 Republicans running for that seat. So that'll be that'll be interesting. I'd like to I'd like to see who's going to come out strong with that one. In national election news. I saw that Joe Biden was leading Trump in Michigan and Wisconsin, two states that will be very, very important in the election in November. But I've also continued to see a lot of people coming out saying, you know, hashtag vote blue no matter who. That's mainly meant for the Bernie supporters who are on the fence or have just decided not to vote for Biden generally. 
And I, and I saw one person, they said, hashtag vote blue no matter who is defeat. It's an acknowledgement that you aren't interested in holding your own party accountable for anything. Your party will always have your support no matter what they do. It's nationalism without a flag. It's incredibly irresponsible. And that is something that's going to be pretty tough for Biden. I mean, I supported Bernie Sanders because of all because of his policies. And if Biden isn't going to adopt those policies, what my my I have no incentive really in Tennessee to vote for him. It's not a swing state. It's Tennessee's going to go for Trump. I have leverage and and so do all the people right now that supported Sanders because it's a pretty big block and it's an important one and all those votes are going to be vital for for Biden when he's running. And this is politics. We say it all the time. Politics is about power. Who holds it? And right now we hold power. And what are we going to do with it? Just hand it over to Joe because he said, hey, come on, I deserve it. If he's not going to do anything, if he's not going to adopt the policies, then then please answer. What's the point for me anyway? And I, and I do think it's irresponsible to just because because we have leverage. And if we use it, we can maybe get the party to shift, maybe get the party to do something different. So why waste that opportunity? I saw that uh, Bill Haggerty was going on a tear. He's the Senate candidate, Republican Senate candidate here in Tennessee. He says we need more tax cuts. That is his priority in the midst of the pandemic. Because why not? As we discussed earlier, the tax cuts that were thrown in, that that was almost $200 billion that could have been used to provide relief for people. But sure, we need, we need more tax cuts for, for those who don't need them. I also came across a pretty good article on our favorite John DeBerry. And the, the article is interesting. It, it really just goes into how his fall from the Democratic Party was not something new. Apparently in his office, there are displays from the NRA showing his love of guns. He's been on record multiple times supporting bills, denying women their constitutional rights. He has spoken about dangerous LGBTQ conversion therapy. He voted for Glenn Cassidy for speaker, which that was an absolute train wreck. And he donated to Bellmead Republican and former speaker Beth Harwell on her failed gubernatorial campaign. He gave her more money than he's ever given any other candidate except for himself. So this really just goes to what the what the Democratic Party leaders were saying, that he wasn't in line with the party, so that's why we kicked him out. But what the article does say that's pretty interesting is that it's not going to deter him from running, that he's still very popular in the district, he has a powerful family, and a lot of friends. So a write-in candidacy is not out of the question. In fact, it's probably going to happen, but now he's going to have to run without without being on the ballot, without having the support of the Democratic Party. And the Republican Party's probably not going to support it, though I've tried to tell them to. They really had his back. But when I said, okay, then donate, help him win, I don't I don't think they're they were that interested in that. But we will see. I'm interested in in that race and how and how that goes. At this point, I don't foresee him winning. I I don't think that write-in campaigns are all that successful. But I'll definitely follow that. That's it for the show today. 
If you haven't yet, go ahead and subscribe. We are available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TriStarTalk. I'm Jeff Patterson. Thanks for listening.